Dixie Creek. Well, that's where we all would meet. Skipping rocks, skipping school. Daddy taught us a golden rule with an okay pole. A shitty spot to sit. We learned everything we knew. That old Foshy Creek. You're listening to the Foshy Creek Podcast. I'm Joe B. Holland. With me is Mr. Shed Whitaker. Today's guest is Mr. Craig Fitz formerly of Realtree and Trained Assassins TV and a whole lot of other things. And we're going to let Craig talk a little bit about that as far as his background. So Craig Shedd has known you, I guess, for some time, and we both kind of got to know you a whole lot better here in the, in the past year. So uh, excited to have you on, listen to your story. And uh, I, I think you've got about as good a story as a, as a person as probably anybody could have because you've just done so many different things and kind of look forward to hearing about them today, but glad to have you. Hey, I appreciate y'all having me. And uh, as always, I'm glad I get to be on this Zoom and be face to face with old shit, just in case some some stuff starts happening. You, know? you never <laughs> know right. what's gonna happen. That's right. Shit. I used to throw rocks at him. I can't do that no more. <laughs> yeah, you got to keep both eyes on old shit. You know, keep the head on a swivel. You just never know. Craig, tell us a little bit about your background. I alluded a bit to it there, but who are you? What have you done? And uh, just give us the whole gamut. You can go back as far as you want. You can go back to birth if you want to. Huh. All right. Well, I'll start. I'll start uh, college. Um, so, out of high school, you know, just like every other boy's dream, uh, I wanted to play football in college. So I got that dream, but the difference was I didn't realize um, how much better everybody was in football than I was. So when I got to college, I was only there for a year playing football, and I moved home and went to uh, uh, local college. And then at the time, my dad was um, in law enforcement, and that's kind of what I wanted to do because every little boy obviously wants to follow in his dad's footsteps as well. And so that's where I started my law enforcement career. I started when I was 18 years old, um, and I was in law enforcement for uh, around nine years, right at nine years. um, In between there, I did manage a Sonic, of all things, uh, for a about nine months and realized that that was not for me. Uh, so I went back to law enforcement and uh, I was there, like I said, for nine years. My last two years, two and a half years there, I was a narcotic agent. So I uh, bought a lot of dope in my day, uh, legally, by the way. Um, and and so um, I started my outdoor career around that time to where I was filming for some people um, for some different TV shows and, and things like that. Uh, got blessed to meet the right people they gave me some freelance jobs and i didn't even know what the word freelance was at the time uh but they uh hired me to video them and i started doing that well that kind of took off for me and so i switched careers from uh law enforcement to fire department um in 2011 same year i got married and the reason i did that is because obviously schedules and but then i quickly fell in love with being a firefighter and while I was building my outdoor career, I, I, I started the show Trained Assassins TV in 2013. And quickly I realized that what I wanted to do was the outdoor industry. And so I left the fire department in 2015 and began running all of the production for a company called Plano Synergy. And that's what I did for two and a half years. And then I got hired on uh, by Realtree. And I for Realtree, I, I did a couple different things. I, I looked after the independent retail market, and then quickly I got moved into um, advertising sales again, which is what my main background was, obviously, 
oh, when I was with Plano Synergy and trained Assassin TV. And so everybody always says I'm a jack of trades and master of none, and that is a complete truth. But like I told Joby and Shea before we got on this, but anyway, like I told him, you know, it's crazy how the decisions I made from day one after graduating high school, I always use that, after graduating high school, has literally led me to exactly where I am today, even for the person I married. Like, it's it's literally every little little decision I made led me to where I am today. And that is so important for people to understand um, because I was, I was teaching – uh, well, I was speaking to a bunch of high schoolers not too long ago, and that's what I told them. I said, you know, you may not think it's a very important decision of what you're going to do right after high school, but it could, that could lead you to what your life is 25, 30 years from now. And so um, those little decisions do make a difference. So I hope that's kind of what you were asking yeah, for as far as yeah, my sure life so far. You know, I, again, I, I really admire that because I think a lot of people worry about what somebody else is going to say, you know, especially, you know, the hunting industry, for example, it's a, it's a small group, and for some people, that's like saying, hey, you're going to play for the New Orleans Saints or the St. Louis Cardinals, or you're going to be an actor. You know, I could never do that. You know, I just, there's no way I could aspire to do that. Or, you know, I want to be in law enforcement. I want to be a firefighter or, you know, have my own business. I could never do They limit themselves on what they can do, and especially as, I mean, you're a young person now. You know, 30, 37, I think, is what you, what you told me. And so you're still a young guy. And so as a young guy coming up, how did you have the confidence to, to make those moves and step out there in the, in the hunting industry, something that you didn't grow up in or, you know, or, or were in that you had to kind of make your own way. So I'm sure there had to be some interesting conversations with your wife on, hey, hey I'm making a change. But, you know, how did all that evolve and how did you have the confidence to do it? Very much uh, a unique story there. So my parents were both government workers. My dad was law enforcement. My mom was, um, she works for in the judicial system. She's retired now, but that's what she did. And my wife's family were both uh, working for the state and they still, uh, her dad's retired now, but her mom still works for the state. So all we knew was, you know, go to work, get paid, have a retirement, you know, those things. That's what I grew up in. That's what I did. So when it all took off in the outdoor industry, I remember I was working for a fire department and I had this conversation with my wife, which by the way, is always for me going after it. Um, but our family was a different story. Um, I say our family, they're just, they just, they weren't, they were like, wait, you're going to leave the fire department with a good retirement to go jump into something you don't even really know if it's going to work out or not. And you know, that kind of got in my head to where I was thinking, yeah, that is kind of dumb for me to do that. But my dad told me, he said, you know, I've worked in government work for at the time over 30 years, he said, and I've always had opportunities to do stuff, but I was always too scared. He said, please don't make that same mistake that I made. And I remember thinking, you know what? I'm, I'm 34, 35 years old at the time, whatever it was, 33. No, heck, I'll 30, whatever, whatever it was. I got plenty of time. If I go and I don't make this happen, I can always come back and be a fireman again. I can always come back and be in law enforcement again. It's not going to define me this moment. So, now it will define me if I decide not to do it. So the reason I ended up doing it is I even, I even told my wife three years before that date, I said, give me three years. I said, if nothing happens in three years, I said, I will decide which way to go. Well, that three year was up and I decided the fire department. I'm just being honest. And the next day I got a call from a guy named Matt Busbus and he 
offered me a job. And ironically enough, the job he offered me was paying me double what I was getting paid as a fireman, which kind of helped the decision, obviously. And I said, you know what? I know I told you yesterday I'm going to the fire department, but good Lord, this must be a sign. So I, I said, let's do it. So I jumped in. And because my dad said he wished he would have, and then because Matt made that call, it made me feel confident enough to do that. Once I made that jump, every other jump was a whole lot easier in that first. Um, so that's literally the reason is because my dad told me I never did it. So don't make that same mistake. You know, I like your statement there. It, it, it w will define me if I don't do it, you know, and I think that's, I think a lot of people, and I'm sure you agree, a lot of people look to find every reason why not to, every excuse why not to, and you, you're definitely not not an excuse guy. You're a glass, you're gla the old glass half full, yours I think is always run over, and I think that's kind of the uh, attitude and that most people should have if they want to chase something, so um you know your your conversation with uh, with Matt. How did that how did that evolve? How did you get to know him to get that for him to call you to have the faith in you to to try it? So I um, when I had trained Assassins TV, so a lot of people don't realize. Okay, I had a successful TV show on television, but it wasn't my career. All right, <laughs> the backside of that was I was working as a cameraman. I was working for other people while I was doing the show. Um, I was also a fireman, obviously, because that's what I was doing. Well, at the time, I was doing some things for Matt. I was uh, freelancing for his show, uh, Wild Game Nation. We got to know each other. We were local. I, he lived in Baton Rouge. I lived not too far from Baton Rouge. Um, and so he just saw the, I guess, potential in me on that. So he called me and, and offered me that. So I knew him through working for them already. Uh, and so that's how that came about. And, you know, we kind of talked about me having a full-time job, but we didn't talk about the timing. The timing was completely, like, just crazy how it happened at the exact time. So um, so that's kind of how that came about. Didn't you have a, a fairly big role in that? I don't know if I know the name of it or not, but that Matt did with the... He had the idea, and it was my job to help produce it, and so that's what I did. Um, I showed up. And I hired the people to be there. I made sure everything was ran correctly. And I was there for that one season. Um, the first the one, love I guess. Was it Love and Likes or something like that? No, no. It was still Miss Wild Game when I was yeah, there. Yeah, Miss Wild Game. Uh, so <laughs> it wasn't – and it actually wasn't the first season of Miss Wild Game. I think it was the first time they did it in North Louisiana. That was the one I did. Um, and what's funny is – during the show, one of the contestants wanted to fire her cameraman. And so I had to go film instead of him. And let me tell you all something. I started in the outdoor industry as a cameraman, but I am not a good cameraman. So I was I didn't know how to run that camera. There were new cameras. I'm like, I don't even know what I'm doing, but hey, let's go. You know, and and I filmed it and we filmed the kill and she was happy. And uh, but I was not expecting to have to film anymore. Uh, so uh, it's funny because my brother-in-law told me the other day, man, you need to rustle up on your video skills. You know, I could kind of get maybe some gigs because he, he's on uh, the show Yellowstone. I was like, dude, I don't want to have anything to do with push and record ever again with a camera. Now, now so, your your brother-in-law's uh, on Yellowstone? Do what? Your brother-in-law's on the show Yellowstone? 
Yeah, he's on the show Yellowstone. His uh, character is Ethan. His real name is Ethan as okay. well. Um, so it, that's pretty cool. Uh, I I usually wear a Yellowstone hat. I know y'all seen it. Yeah, sure. Have. Uh, I stole that. I stole that from his house. Um, and he finally found out because I wore it to his house the other day, and I forgot it was on my head. And uh, but he started laughing. So yeah, um, I had his jacket too, but he found out in my house. Well, who, well, who all dies? Does anybody die? Well, hey, he told you. The key thing is when's the season he, start. He, when season four well, started? Well, he don't even know that. He so he um, he said, "Man, I don't know why they haven't started." To be honest with you, he said, uh, I, "I'm not real sure." So he's not even sure. And it's funny because like when he watches the show, because the way they film it, he, he's like, "I don't really know how it's going to come out. I just know who's still there and who isn't." You know, <laughs> he's like, "So I know how the scenes are that I'm in, but I don't really know how it's all going to put put together until I see it." Did they all make it through season four? Do you know? I really don't know. <laughs> I, I seriously don't. I don't. You can make this podcast the hottest thing in the world. <laughs> That's right. I know, right? I know. I, I, hey, I was thinking about it for a second. I really don't know, though. I would be lying completely <laughs> if I said it. So I don't know. Because the other day I said, I want to ask just like everybody else asked. I said, but I don't want to ask because I don't want to know. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, me and my wife, we we're reading up on it every day. Trying, when's it coming? You know, that's our been our favorite yeah. show, and and a whole lot of people's too. You know, well, uh, Craig, how did you how did you start your show, the uh, the Assassins? How did that come about? And yeah. tell us a little about how hard it is, or how easy it was for you to do all that entails. I'd say a lot of people probably have misconceptions uh -huh. of of hunting shows and how they how they originate and how they uh -huh. how they work. Yeah, so I, Slade Priest and I, we always had a dream of having a hunting show since about 2008, I guess, 2007. And so I started filming different things, and we called ourselves Trained Assassins as a joke. Um, and then when it was time to actually, you know, put up or shut up, we were like, okay, what's our name going to be? I said, uh, he said, what about Trained Assassins? I was like, dude, no, no, we are not doing that. That is not going to happen. And I'm telling you, we racked our brains for days and weeks and we couldn't come up with anything else. And we we're like, you know what, this is going to go, we're going to do it, whatever. And so we decided to do a YouTube show first, obviously, you know, 2009, that was big, right? Um, 2010 was big. And so we tried it and we ended up starting to get a couple of little, um, product sponsors here and there. And one of them, which was bear archery. I'm sorry if that conflicts with somebody y'all got, but it's a true story. Uh, so Bear Archery came to us and said, um, Hey, we would really like for y'all to think about doing this, you know, as a television show on one of the networks. And we we're like, man, that was really never our goal, but you know what, we'll look at it. And then at the same time, Matt, I was working for him as well. And they were on board as well. And I said, okay. I said, well, we'll try this. I said, we'll see if we can get some sponsors. Cause the one thing I, I always said, Slay always said was we were never, ever go in debt to start a TV show. I said, I will never borrow money to do it. I will never do this. I said, if we can get the support, I said, then yes, we will do it. Well, I'm not going to talk about numbers, obviously, but my first phone call that I made, the guy says, yeah, we'll do a title sponsor and a commercial spot as well. And I, I said, okay, let me call you right back. And I called uh, Matt Buzz back. I said, hey, dude, what's a, what's a title sponsor and a commercial? Like, what, what does this even cost? Like I had no idea. And so whenever we got that one done, I said, wait a minute, is this easy? Like, heck yeah, let's go, right? Well, let's just say it was not that easy after that one. That first phone call, 
was like catching the fish on your first cast um, because after that it was difficult and you know we were blessed throughout the years that we continued doing it um, we never had to come out of pocket which was our goal in the beginning um, we were able to hunt across this nation in some of the best places that you can imagine with some of the best sceneries met some of the most incredible people uh, and along the way was it tough to keep that show going? Absolutely. I always talk about it as like babysitting. I had nine people, I had hosts, I had camera guys, I had um, production people, and it was like herding cats 24 seven. But it was worth it because the dreams of them, of those people and my dreams came true. And so all the hard work that put into it day in and day out while having another job, it was all worth it. And then we decided to actually stop the show um, 100% because of our families, because our kids were growing up and we were missing out on things. We were gone all the time. And so we decided to go out, obviously, on a high note as well. We didn't want to have to quit. We wanted to decide to stop. And that's why we decided to stop. But, yes, so those eight years, was it a grind? Absolutely. Was it fun? Way more fun than it was a grind. So, um, But starting it was definitely the hardest thing. And, uh, and then keeping it rolling um, was a little, little simpler, but not much because there's a lot of things that go along with it that people don't realize. There's a lot of planning. There's a lot of schedules. There's a lot of, uh, keeping sponsors happy like shit, uh, even though I never had to keep shit happy. Um, and then, so <laughs> actually my job was to make shit mad. So, um, I think I succeeded a few times. Uh, but anyway, I don't know, all really. jokes is fine. No, oh, whatever. He's just, lying. He's just lying right now. He's lying. So, uh, but anyway, um, yeah, it was uh, it, it was one of those things that I would never, ever change anything about it, and so glad I was able to do that for that long. Yeah, I bet so. You know, Shed, uh, Craig would look good in Mossy Oak, you know? Some bottom hey, line. I know there's some pictures I've been floating around with it on. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I, I'm not going to go there into too much detail, but there one time Slade was friends with a camera guy here, and they were they were doing some filming, and we'll just leave it at that. And it was <laughs> headed down the right path, and they had a little slip and fall, and then it kind of went another direction. Oh man, I can tell you what, if you got a picture of me wearing Mossy Oak. That's pretty good because I had it on for four days uh, back in like 2010, I think, something like that. So, yeah, if you got pictures of it, I, that's pretty good. I would love I, to see I, them. I, I don't know if I – I think uh, Rusty film was slayed before you guys did the train, train assassin stuff. Oh, yeah, I remember old Rusty coming in, and I would show up in my real tree cowboy hat um, and – and I'll pick on about flossy fine. It was a good time. And, that, and you know, all jokes aside, like we always talk about this, but all jokes aside, that's what I like about the hunting industry. That's what I love about it is me and Shed are sitting here laughing about it, joking about it. And most people that's think cause that, you don't, that's because you don't work there no more. Well, I still would laugh and joke about it. I really would. I mean, um, if you still work there, I, mean, I, would, I, would, I wouldn't have you all. I mean, you couldn't have well, that. So. Well, yeah, well, you know, the Mossy Oak guys, y'all are kind of mean to me, but, you know, whatever. I'm not mean back. I'm just going to say that. But, but I'll, yeah, it, it is funny um, because, you know, the main thing about all of this is 
when I was in it is to promote the sport of hunting. I know that sounds so cliche. You hear people say that all the time, but it really is true. And, you know, you should see everybody at the hunting industry shows and everything. And I mean, we all had a great time. And uh, so, yeah, it's funny. But Shed and I definitely give each other a lot of heck now that we know each other a lot better. And, you know, Shed will probably deny this. And Shed will, uh, might even say it's not true. But I, I, it may take away from his uh, from his mystique. But I, I think it was at the ATA show or sometime a while back. Anyway, I said something to Shed about the guys at Realtree, you know, and because the jock and it goes back and forth. And Shed said, let me tell you something. He said, now... I'll try to steal every person I can to, to have them wear mossy oak, you know, and, and they would do, but those are some great guys over there. Really good people, you know? So yeah, that's that. Shows never said that. <laughs> <laughs> yes, he did. Yes, he did. <laughs> well, he might have said that, Kobe, but I was there at the time. That's why he said it. That's probably so, true. Like, that's no, probably that's true. That's why he said that. You mm -hmm. know, Craig's a good guy. He had a, a, a very dark past that has now been wrecking. <laughs> And uh, so he's on the right path. Yeah. But I've never said that. Never said that joke. Never. Uh, oh, uh, how about old Uncle? How old was Uncle Rusty? Kind of made my heart hurt right there. <laughs> how old was he? Yeah. Uncle um, Rusty. I think he. Last year, uh, he was born in 41. He died last year. So. Okay. So he. What is that? I can't even do that math. I'm a pretty good 80. math guy. And I can't do it right now. 80. He'd be 80, 80. This, 80 this year. He'd be, I think, I think he was 79. Okay. Um, because I don't think his birthday hit yet, but, um, so yeah, he, uh, were him and Slate actually cousins? men I've ever known. Do what? Him and Slate actually cousins, weren't they? So his, Slade's grandpa and Uncle Rusty were first cousins. So how, whatever that makes them, I'm not sure. Okay. Um, but, that was one of the greatest men. A lot. I learned a lot from him. And you want to talk about quotes? Oh my gosh, there are so many quotes that that man came up with that we really we, we haven't written down. Thank goodness we thought about that. But um, he truly loved doing what we did. Truly loved it. And um, you know, we tried to bring him everywhere we could. Um, you know, the older he got, the less he could go. But whenever he went. It was the best trips that we've ever had. Um, and we're so glad we brought him. The last couple of trips we went on was he went to Mexico with us. And uh, it was funny. <laughs> we're, we were supposed to shoot certain deer. You know how it is in Mexico and Texas, you know. And uh, we were in Mexico on this big 55,000-acre ranch. And we, uh, we dropped people off that morning, him and Bear Cub, which is one of our camera guys, were together. And, I was with uh, Miss Terry Quinn, which works at Paradigm. I was with her in another stand. I'm, I'm pretty good while, ways away. But when I tell you Terry and I just sat down on our seats and we heard kaboom coming from Uncle Rusty's way, and I said, oh, my gosh, I hope they didn't kill each other in that stand. I said, because there's no way they shot already. Well, yes, they did. They shot already. And look. Luke told me what it was. I said, well, mess with Uncle Rusty and act like it was the wrong deer. Like, mess with him and just act like it was uh, messed up. Uncle Rusty's calling me back and forth. Man, y'all told me I could see it. I said, Uncle Rusty, that was the wrong deer. I can't believe you shot that deer. Blah, blah, blah. But he shot the real one. But we got him nervous for a while. But <laughs> look, if you told him to shoot, he would shoot. I can tell you, he didn't care. He literally didn't. That man loved hunting, and he loved people more than anybody I've ever seen. And, uh, and 
So it, it was it was a really good time that we got to spend with him, and uh, so glad I got to. You know, he was a big part of your show, and I remember seeing him on commercials. And he didn't always pronounce things the correct way. It didn't seem like his his pronunciations varied a little bit, didn't they? <laughs> yeah, uh, those interviews were hilarious. Uh, so the reason, the way we come up, let me tell y'all, I'm glad you brought that up. The way we come up with him doing those was every time we wrote a, like a interview out for him, what to say, he could never get it out. Like it was impossible. So we would burn up so much digital space because we would just hold it on record because he would say stuff that was really funny, but you couldn't do it on cue. So whenever we realized he could not do interviews, I'm like, we're going to play off of this. And we're gonna we're gonna make him do our, our mini commercials because it is hilarious when he messes up, and so that that's how those came about is because <laughs> of the mess ups. He, he he always messed up. He could not ever get it out, and he would get so mad at himself that when he would get mad at himself, that was the goal was the stuff he would say after that, mm -hmm. and that's how that that all came about. You just made it that much better. He probably didn't realize he was frustrated, but it was it had was... no idea, <laughs> had no idea. Well, from your years with Realtree and Trained Assassins and, uh, shoot, I watched you yesterday. I think I texted you about your hunt with David Blanton was there at the end when you recovered your deer. And I think you had with Michael Waddell and probably lots of folks. What, what, so you had to, you had to learn a lot of things over the course of time. What would your biggest takeaways be from, from your time doing your show, Realtree, your experiences? Uh, what'd be your biggest takeaways from that? Just out of hunting in general? Yes. I needed a oh. better camo. <laughs> he, got, he, he got picked off too, you know, too much. <laughs> camo. My, I need a camo that blends in. I need a better camo. <laughs> be number I don't one. know. I don't know. I killed a bunch of stuff. Uh, I'm just saying. But uh, No. Uh, all jokes aside, this is one thing that I found. And I've always said this, and I've asked this question to several people, is – what makes a great whitetail hunter? What is the one thing that makes a great whitetail hunter? What I mean by that is, what is the one thing that creates a hunter to kill something big? Meaning booners, you know, people kill multiple booners and things like that. Is, does, that does that make them a great whitetail hunter? Or does that make them a, good, a great hunter that happens to have really good property? What I mean by that is, this is what I've learned is it doesn't matter where you're hunting. I mean, it doesn't matter how you're hunting or what your goal is hunting. The, the, the reason for hunting is whatever you bring out of that experience. What I mean by that is I went all across this country and I can't tell you how many 125s or 140 inch eight points that I killed or 150 inch eight points. Sorry. I got to like literally when they called me the eight point king. All right, because I love killing those deer. But that was my booner. All right, that's what I enjoyed out of it because I enjoyed killing a deer that was four years old or older. To me, there was no difference in killing a 140-inch eight-point thing and killing a 175-inch booner because you were fooling a mature animal that had no idea what was on its head. So whenever you always hear these names, oh, well, this guy killed this many 200s. Well, this guy killed this many 180s. What I found is, first of all, they don't walk around every tree. Everybody knows that. But what I found is, is that it doesn't matter how good a hunter you are. If they're not there, they're not there. And so that's one thing that I found that was very true is there's a, that's, and she is going to love this. 
But that's why I consider Michael a very, very, very great whitetail hunter. Is because it's not all about him killing a bunch of booners. I think it was like not till like eight years ago he killed a deer over 165 inches or something. I don't know, it was something crazy like that. It's because he enjoyed the actual part of the hunt, and that's what I that's what I've gathered throughout the years is is that in order to be a great whitetail hunter, you have to enjoy the art of whitetail hunting, not the art of only killing 180 plus. And, and we've so, and we've lost a lot of that now. I think is a hunting society where people think if they don't hit that bar, and of course you can, that they're not successful. If you look on social media, you know people get hammered. Should let him go another year. He's not big enough, you know. And so that enjoyment factor for a lot of people, and probably is now. I know our numbers are up now through last year what we dealt with, but uh, I'm sure that's driven some people out to just say, well, I can't, I can't get there. So why, uh-huh. why even try? You know. So that, that's that's a good point, Craig. I mean, I'm going to be honest with y'all. I got 300 acres I lease right here close to my house. I mean, the biggest deer I had on camera last year was about a 110. And he was six years old, seven years old, and my brother ended up killing him. And it was the biggest celebration for us than when I killed 154-inch deer in Texas. You know, like it's literally a, that's what that's what I love about it. And because we were hunting that deer, you know, that was – he may have been 110 inches, but you know, I don't even know if he's 110 to be honest with you. He probably didn't break 100, but he was old, and that's what that's that's what I love about it is um, is that right there. Hunting wise, now as you're going into the fall, and how has your hunting changed from when you had to show to now as far as properties? How do you find places to hunt? Get permission to hunt, or you know, what do you do now? It's changed a lot. Number one thing, it's not it's not about me as much as anymore. It's about my kids, my brothers, my, uh, dad. Um, so when I find pieces of property now, I try to find them close to home. I have a lease in Missouri with Randy Birdsong that I use for, for whenever I want to go and go hunting, but around here, uh, cause I want my son and my daughter to be able to experience what I experienced. You know, I didn't really start hunting when I was a young age, um, because I was, my dad decided to give up hunting for my, my brothers enjoyed horses. I enjoyed sports. So I really, I wasn't really introduced to hunt until I was about 15 years old. And so I'm wanting my kids to have the experience, you know, growing up of, of learning and enjoying the thing that I learned later in life that I love. And so that is the most important thing to me. And now my dad's back doing it and he's all enjoying it. So I want him to have somewhere he can go at all times, which last year he killed his biggest buck of his life um, on a piece of property that was funny. I was chasing that deer for like two months. And I told him, I said, just go sit in this blind. He's like, I don't even know where the property is. So I sent him a pen, showed him how to walk to it. He sat in a blind and two hours later, he sent me a picture of Gotti. I'm like, what? And he shot, he shot that deer, which was that I was way happier that he killed it than me. And same thing with my brother. So that's, literally how things have changed for me because the reason I quit the show is because of my family. So therefore that's what I'm trying to pour into is for them to enjoy what I've got to enjoy for so long, uh, for them to enjoy it themselves. Shed, what you got? I don't know. I was just wondering how big that deer was. Oh, the, uh, the one he killed, my dad killed? Yeah, your dad killed. 133 inch, eight point, uh, Southwest Mississippi. 
Now, what's on your hunting agenda th this fall? Where all will you go this year? What's your what's your deer hunting plans? All right, so um, obviously home, Mississippi and Louisiana. Uh, I'll be doing a lot here, and then I'll go to Missouri to our lease there. And then um, right now I'm looking at something in Texas. I hope that comes through. Uh, Kansas, I did not draw, so I'm not going there. Uh, and then I'm trying to do one more hunt in um, – I'm not even going to say the state, a state that nobody would ever think I would be good deer hunting in. So I'm going to wait and see if that comes out and then I'll announce it because it's pretty cool. So, uh, but yeah, I, um, I'm, I'm, I haven't got confirmation on that yet. Though. Now you had you some good hunts in Kansas, didn't you? Didn't, didn't you hunt quite a few years there? What's funny is, so I hunted for 10 years with a camera over my shoulder or more than that actually. And I, my biggest deer I ever killed on camera was 154 inch eight point out of Texas. And literally, I'm not making this up. The first trip I ever took without a cameraman over my shoulder because we put the show, I killed my first booner 171 inches in Kansas. And uh, I was like, well, I don't know if, if uh, somebody filming me is in my cards from now on if this is going to happen every time. But uh, yeah, I laughed. I said, all those, all that footage, all those deer that I killed, and literally the first one. I killed a 171 inch deer. And the best part about that is I got to shoot that deer. I got, I got to shoot that deer twice. I shot him once, wounded him three days later. He came back uh, to a different stand and I just happened to be sitting in it. And I was like, man, I was like, is this really him? And I got to shoot him again. And uh, so I got to shoot two benders in a week. How, how far apart were those stands from where you wounded him to where you uh, killed him? Was about a mile. And about what three days difference you said? Three days. I shot him on a Sunday morning and wounded him, and I killed him on a Tuesday evening. What's a typical day right now in the life of Craig Fitz? What's what's a day for you consist of? A little bit different than uh, it was <laughs> two years. <ago. laughs> uh, and obviously, we went over my background, and things have changed throughout my life a lot. Um, but I would say this is probably my biggest change. So. Uh, um, hunting is still my passion. Hunting is still, um, my favorite pastime that I have. Uh, but it's also not something that defines me anymore. And what I mean by that is, um, I do it for different reasons. Now I do it because I enjoy it. I do it because my family enjoys it. And I, about, now my my day is spent i wake up and i take my kids to school um and also i spend my day helping others create the better part of their self and what i mean by that is um i'm a health coach and i teach people basically how to get healthy uh mind body and finances and that has been the most rewarding thing i've ever done in my entire life um i know it might sound crazy to a lot of you because you're listening to this because of a hunting podcast but I will tell you that um, everything I've ever done, this is the most rewarding thing I've ever done because I get to do my passion hunting whenever and however I want. And it is amazing to be able to do that um, at the same time of helping people. And the best part about it is most of the people that I've helped or have done this is fellow hunters as well. And which makes it even better because now, you know, how fun is it to meet new people that were already doing what you loved anyway. And now you get to do things even more together. So, 
Uh, my day-to-day consists of mowing grass, taking care of kids, health coaching, and finding time here and there to play golf and get ready for hunting season. That's my day-to-day. Oh, oh, and I forgot all about being employee of the month for my wife's business. <laughs> now, you started your, your health coaching, is it last March? Is that right? Last March, March of 2020, right? Uh, the day quarantine started um, is the day I started my health journey and also coaching at the same time. Now, how much time hunting-wise this fall will you get a feel? How many days do you spend in a tree or in a blind or however you hunt? Not going to lie. Um, last year from probably November 1st through January 15th, I probably spent – pretty much at least an evening hunt, you know, three or four times a week. Um, because I do have a place close to my house now that I can go with my kids. And so we make a lot of evening hunts. Um, now that's not as much as I was when I was on the road sitting in a tree 93 days a year. Um, but I still go a pretty good bit deer hunting and turkey hunting, even though turkey hunting kicked my butt this year. Um, I went a lot and, but they didn't like me. And they didn't like my calling. They didn't like anybody's calling with me. I even let Slade call a couple times, and they didn't like his either. So, um, oh like yeah, I, I still... you got to wear the right camo. Wow. The there, there's I a common really theme right. that he's missing here. Shit. The turkey, but you got to have the right camo. <laughs> Walk right into it. I did. Oh man, how's it going? I like it. I like. Now of you too. I can help you with that. <laughs> of, of your two turkey hunting deer hunting which of the two if you had to pick one of them which is which is your go-to which is one you look forward to the most you know that's an interesting i get asked that a lot so if i only had one day left i would go deer hunt but if i can only do one sport for the rest of my life i would choose turkey hunting and the reason is because i always say that deer hunting that high lasts three, four weeks, a month, a year, whatever it is, until you're next. A turkey, that high lasts for about 15 seconds. And it's like, where's the next one? So I always answer that question two different ways. Is because the excitement of a deer chasing a doe, doing a stiff-legged trot, own leaves in the hardwoods is the best feeling adrenaline rush that I can think of in the hunting world. So I can't say that I enjoy turkey hunting more than that, but I surely enjoy turkey hunting because it's an active uh, talking back and forth to them, things like that. And, and so that high is fast, but it's more often. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's the way I answer that question. You know, I've got a, well, of course, in my business as an educator, I've talked to kids for 30 years about, you know, you can do whatever you choose to do. And if some kids get older, they think, well, that's not really true. You know, or a lot of adults think that's not really true. Well, you can't, you can't be astro on the moon. There's only so many people that do that. Or you can't be an actor. You can't do this. And I, I just disagree with that because I, I think it's a, kind of a last man standing kind of deal. If you want to play college football or college basketball, you can. That may not be at University of North Carolina or it may not be at University of Alabama, but you can. If you want to be in the music industry, you can be. Now, you may not have be able to sing, but you know you can play an instrument or there's 
you know, uh, all kinds of things you can do from the producing standpoint to uh, uh, road managers to lights to do what are you willing to sacrifice to get there? Who's going to be that last man standing? And, and long you hang around, and, and to me, you're the epitome of the talks I've had for 30 years. If you want to do something, you can do it. And I think you have proved that in your 37 years. If you want to do something, it's possible. And then how high you go is just determined by, again, what you're willing to sacrifice. And I've I've got a nephew who will graduate college in Arkansas next year, and all the time he's grown up till yesterday. You know, he's wants to be in the hunting industry. That's, I'm going to want to be in the hunting industry. So I'm like, well, we'll see if you do, you know. Well, what do you mean? You know, I got, are you willing to be the last guy standing? Are you willing to put in the time? Are you willing to work for free? Are you willing to work for little? Are you willing to be behind the camera when you'd rather be the one shooting the gun? You know, there's sacrifices you have to make. And does that take you a year? Does it take you two years, five years, you know, 10 years? If that's what you want to do, you can do it. So I say all that to say, you know, what's your advice to, to a young person, a boy or girl, whatever the case may be, of getting into hunting industry? What do you feel like someone needs to do? Yeah, so the way I look at that is exactly what you said. No matter what your dream is, if it's a hunting industry, if it's uh, being the most successful CEO of a company, if it's to play college football, college baseball, what dancer, whatever it is that your dream is, here's what I can tell you that I didn't realize until very recently that my mind was like this anyway. I just didn't realize it. But whenever I started it and decided I want to be in the hunt industry, there was no, oh, I might not make it. That 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 was not that was not in my brain. My brain was when I make it. You know? Um, whenever I was with the sheriff's office and I wanted to be a narcotic agent, there was no, man, I hope I'm a narcotic agent one day. No, it was when I become a narcotic agent. And the same thing with everything I've ever done. Whenever I decided to be a health coach, there was no, am I going to help people doing this? It's when and how many am I going to help do this? So I always tell people this, if you want to do something, and that's what you want to do, there should be no doubt in your head, well, maybe I can't do that. Because as soon as that creeps in, that's going to that's gonna affect what you are willing to do to get there, what you are willing to sacrifice to get there. Um, I always set time limits on myself. Uh, I don't suggest doing this. It's just something that works for me. Is Whenever I was trying to get in the hunting industry, y'all heard me say it earlier. I set a three-year time limit. I told my wife in three years, give me three years. And I, I may not make a dime in three years, but you know what? I said, I'm going to give it everything I got for three years. If it doesn't work, it doesn't work. Well, it took three years in one day, but y'all get the point. Um, and it's the same thing with, I've always said, three months, three weeks, a year, whatever that is, that's what I go full steam ahead because that's my dream. Nothing's going to stop me until I get there. And I've always lived by that. I've always done that. And so... I always say, if you have a dream, just know that you will reach it and that will happen. But you have to be willing, just like you just said, you have to be willing to sacrifice some things in order for that to happen. So, you know, I guess a kind of example of that for you, I mean, you just last March, you said you started your, your health coaching in March. So entering a whole new market, a whole new arena that you haven't experienced before and shed. And I got to witness you getting recognized this past uh, weekend in Atlanta for, you know, being, again, one of the top health coaches. So you've helped uh, a ton of people in a short amount of time. So 
it's uh it's all about what a guy wants to do and how much time you want to put in and what you're again willing to sacrifice and again you you've been the the epitome of that talking about sacrifice joby real quick talking about sacrifice i mean i'm sacrificed i'm on a podcast with chad whitaker that says a lot that says a lot that does. <laughs> I told y'all the gloves are going to come off. I knew it. Yeah, now, now you're worth more. <laughs> Your value. You, you sacrificed a bunch just, just for Craig to reap the benefits of being there with you, hadn't you, Shed? I know. He's got the, he can, now he can go around and, you know what? I got to hang out with Shed. <laughs> Although he's done that a bunch lately. He, you know, the more he does it, if you notice, he gets cooler every mm-hmm. time. Taking, taking, pictures, <laughs> taking no, pictures with you I left mean, and right. You know, we talked about it and was like, hey, we could put Craig on a podcast. We're like, I don't know if he's cool enough yet. I mean, we got to get <laughs> yeah, him. You know, he's hey, got to hang out enough to make sure he's cool. I've been enough. wanting so to get you on here since we started. Months. Jed just keeps pulling me back, huh? Not yet. Not yet. No, he hadn't earned it yet. So, <laughs> hey, Craig, from a hunting standpoint, too, a little advice. You know, it's getting harder and harder to find places to hunt. You know, used to. Especially bow, you know, I mean, nobody bow hunted or very few did. And so go ask somebody to bow hunt. It's like you wasn't even hurting anything. You're just going to be sitting in a tree for a while. So, yeah, go have at it, you know. And those days are, are, are long gone. What do, you, do you have any advice of what's worked for you and as far as obtaining property, permission to hunt? Is, is there anything that works anymore? This is the hardest thing to answer because there is no answer. Mm-hmm. Um, it is the hardest thing to do right now is find permission to lease a property or permission to hunt a property. Um, and you have to get kind of creative to be honest with you. Um, I, the property I was talking about where my brother killed that, I think he actually scored like 87 inches to be honest with you. But anyway, um, you know, that is 300 acres. And when I say inside the city limits of our town, it's just outside of it. Um, but it, nobody ever thought about deer being there, you know? And so I was fortunate enough to pick that up. Um, and then I got a little bit of heads up on most people. I mean, my best friend is a very successful real estate agent for land. So sometimes he calls me and it's like, Hey, I got this to lease. And sometimes I can do it. Sometimes I can't. Um, so that's helped me. But to be honest with you, it's so funny because you asked that question because of the show, Everybody assumed that I had all this property to hunt. I really didn't. And so when the show ended, I had to start doing that. I had to go find places to hunt because with the show, you know, we had friends in these states and that state, and we go hunt these private properties and that private property. Well, when I stopped traveling, I started realizing, I was like, man, I, I don't really have anywhere to hunt around here that, you know, that are that's basically mine that I had to, I could go anytime I want it. Yeah, I could go with Slade. I could go with Ryan. I can go with them. But for me, I, it was difficult. So now, over the past couple of years, I have been able to grab some, but I had to get creative, like the one inside the city limits of where I live. So um, that is the hardest question to answer um, it, because, it man, it is tough. And the thing is, you know, fortunately, unfortunately, however you want to look at it, it you know, it's expensive as well. It's expensive to lease property. And now sometimes is that property worth leasing? Yes. Now, fortunately here in Louisiana, we do have a lot of public land. I'm not sure how good it is. I've turkey hunted it before. Uh, cause I own, I, I didn't own, I'm sorry. I leased some property that was connected to 
public land, and I saw obviously heard a bird gobble, so I went to it. Uh, so I mean, they have good turkey hunting there. As far as deer hunting, you know, in Louisiana, our public land is not really that good. So um, it is all about leases and private property, and so it is tough. And same in Mississippi, even though there's like four hundred thousand acres of homochitto, but um, Chad probably hunts a hundred thousand of it, he got does. it blocked he off does. with a fence or something, but. Maybe this will help you get into uh, his, his part of Mississippi, this podcast to help you get in, you know, with him a little bit, maybe. They're, they're, yeah, I need to make a, they're fixing to make a camo mandate. If you're going to hunt Mississippi, you've got to wear bottom land. Well, never mind. This is recorded. <laughs> I saw, I will, say this. So, I will say this about the bottom land real quick, because this is, I'm going to keep it PC real quick for shit is if I ever had to wear a mossy oak, that's what I would wear. So there you go. <laughs> there you go. Cla- classic camo. And, and you'll, and, and you'll be better for it. <laughs> hey, is so it- I, I, what I want to know is with you living in Louisiana, being a narcotics agent, you got to have a pretty good killer story on peddling some dope. I want to know what that that is because you never really have said much about that. But if you're dealing if you're dealing dope legally as a narcotics agent, I, I want to know what uh, there's got to be a good story. Well, I don't know if this is the exact story that you're wanting to hear, but one of my favorite stories of my old days of doing that is this right here. So I went and there was this her a woman. Her name was Regina. I don't remember her last name. I wouldn't say it anyway if it wasn't, but her name was Regina. And I must have bought dope from this woman myself. I don't know, 15, 20 times, probably. <laughs> and it was funny because the, about the third time I went into her house to buy it, her son opened the door and I immediately recognized him <laughs> because. I arrested him when I was on the road as a road mm-hmm. and I went, Oh crap. You know, like he 100% recognized me, but he didn't. And we always laugh. We talk about this. I think when I put a hat on versus my hat, no hat, like it's like I'm a different person or something like people don't recognize. Me. So I guess that's the only reason he didn't recognize me. But anyway, let's fast forward. So, I mean, I've been in this woman's house. I've sat on her bed and bought, like talked about stuff like not just transactions right like we've talked well i got hired on with the fire department and so i had two weeks left at the sheriff's office and so we did a roundup well i said well i'm gonna go on a roundup with y'all this time because i'm i'm done you know i'm not doing anything i said so i'll go with y'all on a roundup this time and so we arrested her i did that lady's paperwork and she never ever recognized me and I said, you know, it was scary, but funny at the same time. I, I remember laughing, thinking, okay, this is crazy. This woman has no idea who I am. And I've, I've literally sat in her house with her several times. But it's scary because think about how many people she was selling to in order for her not to recognize me. Yeah. You know? Right. And that's when I was like, this is nuts. <laughs> But anyway, so that's kind of a funny all, story I always tell. But all you had was true. just the, the cap was the only thing different. You wore a cap and that was it? Okay, when I booked her, I did shave. So I shaved my beard. Okay. Uh, that was it. I had a hat on that day. Like, 
I mean, I literally, I was writing her book. Like she's sitting right here talking. Like she never knew it was me. Finally, at the end, I said, "Do you not recognize me?" And then she was like, "Oh yeah." I'm like, "How did you not know who I was?" Like it's crazy to me. What you, what you, what's your best or most embarrassing or good? What's a good hunting story you can you can relay to us? That one's easy. Um, I was in Wyoming with a seven J outfit and, and, um, I was in a tree for six days. I thought it was going to be one of those, like come in, slam dunk first day, second day, whatever. And I, I remember I didn't have a shooter walk by me. I, I would see them, you know, there, I don't know if anybody's hunting out West for whitetails early season, but you literally just have to be on the trail. They take that day. I mean, it's like a crap shoot, you know? And that's so the, I remember place, seeing them. That's the place right by devil's tower, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so every day I could see hundreds of deer out in this field. And it's like every day for six days, they would, they would go on the 120 yard trails, you know? And I'm like, you gotta be kidding me. So, uh, the last day of the hunt, we've been hunting this one deer. I kept seeing him and he, and finally I was like, okay, we got him nailed. And we did. So we moved to stand, we got on another trail and here he comes. And, and he's like at 12 steps. He was going to be 12 steps from me. And I drew back. And when I released my arrow, when I tell y'all I missed him by more margin than he was from my tree, that is a fact. <laughs> I, it went above his head, through his ant, like above his antlers, and stuck in the ground. And I remember going, I, I mean, I didn't know what to say. I turned around and my, my camera guy, Colton, uh, was sitting there and I said, he's like, what the heck happened? I said, I have no idea, man. Like, I have no idea. I still don't know what happened till today because I shot my my bow after that and it was perfectly on. I'm like, I have no idea what just happened. And still to this day, we don't know what happened. But that was the most embarrassing thing because not only did it air on Train Assassin's TV, it aired on Red Arrow TV, it aired on Realtree Outdoors, it was nominated for a crappy award, and I was like, you know what? Okay, that's pretty embarrassing. Now, I will tell you another one. So I was in Illinois. Shot a deer one morning, high, couldn't find him, went a mile away from him to kind of get it out of my mind, just middle of the woods in the evening, saw one deer the entire evening. Guess what deer it was? Him. Walks <laughs> walks 15 yards from my stand, chip shot, shot right under. So we call him Garfield. So, yeah, I've had a lot of embarrassing stories. <laughs> if anybody ever watched Train Assassins, as listening to this, y'all know how bad a shot I was, am, whatever. Uh, and I messed up a lot. And that's just who I was because, let's be honest, I, I used to get this all the time. Well, you need to shoot more. You need to practice more. Okay. You come to my house and watch how many times I practice. I can hit a bullseye nine out of ten times at 60 yards. But when a deer's at 15 steps, I don't know. I guess I go stupid. I don't really know. But – um, but yeah, I've had a lot of embarrassing moments, but the Wyoming thing was probably my worst. Now, how big was Garfield? What would you say he would have scored? We were guessing mid sixties, which mm. in my, that was the biggest I've ever shot at the time, you know? Um, so yeah, it, it haunted me a lot. I, uh, my wife would tell do. you till this day, I used to wake up in the middle of the night and say, I think they found me mm. and I was just dreaming, you yeah. know? And so, yeah. Now has that helped you with that moment of truth? You know, when you, 
like the deer I watched yesterday, you grind that thing in, man, he came in on a string and it looked like he's about 15 yards from him. You killed him. That's the one Blanton recovered with you. Uh, so, yeah. I, you know, I just about hear your heart pounding, or at least I could feel like your heart was pounding, you know, as it was coming in. Is there anything mechanism wise you try to do mentally to kind of prepare yourself for that shot that you say to yourself? Yes. What, what is that? I can tell you exactly what it is. So my, after my, a lot of my mishaps, this is what I started doing and it's helped is, and my camera, my camera guys, Luke and Colton hate when I do this, but I said, y'all, I have to do this. I literally, I'm okay until I grab my bow off the hanger. So you'll see on a lot of my like oldest stuff that I did, it's last minute before, last second before I grab that bow. I'll, I'll just sit there and I'm like, I'm gonna let him come in. I'm like, and Colton's like, they're great, bow, they're great. Bow. I'm like, nope, nope, because once I touch it, it's over with. <laughs> but if I can just grab it, get up, turn, and go, I, I've been okay. But the longer I have to stand there with that bow in my hand, the more my heart starts beating, the more adrenaline I got. And I'm going to tell you right now, whenever I lose that is the day I stop hunting. Yeah. And so to me, I enjoy that. I enjoy that part of it because that means I love it. And that's what I, that's what I, that's what I like about it. Now, after I shoot, I shake like a little girl in 20 degree weather and I can't always talk. Sometimes I'll, I'll get teary eyed. Y'all know me. I'm emotional. Like, because that's that much stuff coming across me at one time. Mm -hmm. And that's what I love about this sport. And that's God's on the street. Yeah. That's what makes it special. If you don't have those feelings, what the heck are you out there for? And I get the same feeling with a rifle. I'm just being honest. Oh, I get yeah. the same, same thing. Uh, so it's, it's not just bow hunting. Obviously, bow hunting a little bit more intense, but you know, shed, uh, it's shed, everything. Shed likes using his pocket knife a lot. Don't you, Shed? <laughs> don't you? Uh, spear or what is it? Addle, addle? <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Blow Wait, guns. You got a little trouble throwing that atolatl right now with that with that thumb or whatever. They, they, they released my fingers. I had to go to rehab this morning, so two weeks and they'll release me. Then everything's in trouble. Craig, I've got just kind of some quick questions, one or short answer type deals. But before we can jump in those sheds, you got anything you wanna wanna throw out him again? You hadn't mentioned anything about mossy oak and camo, so that might be a time to bring it up if you wanted. That's the best. Yeah. Uh -huh. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean Craig. I, I will. Before he says this, I will say this. I guarantee you, we have the record for real tree being said the most on this podcast. So that's true. That's true. You know, and I tell you, really, if this be a good opportunity for Shed to send you some bottom land just to see if you do feel comfortable wearing it. All right, Craig. What's one thing that you look forward to the most as it relates to deer season? Um, right after the rut, I like hunting right after the rut. I don't like, I don't like hunting during the rut as much as I like hunting right after the rut. Is that, I, I don't know if that's what you want to ask. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Just, answer. Your honest answer. And t I wasn't going to ask you any whys to make it quicker, but tell me why. Cause I, I want to know. <laughs> okay. Uh, okay. So, so for years I used to travel to the Midwest first week of November during, you know, peak rut or quote unquote peak rut. And I never had, I never ever had success. Um, me personally. And because I would always catch lockdown, always catch lockdown. And when I say lockdown, look, I'm not real big on, Oh, it's lockdown because every yeah. deer in the woods is not locked down at the same time. Mm. Okay. But there is a percentage of them that are, but I realized that if you go right after that, or right before, but I kind of like the right after because they like food, 
and they're still looking. So you're kind of getting the best of both worlds. And that's when I found that I've had the best um, success uh, rut-wise. We can't hunt post-rut here at home because our rut goes all the way through our season. Um, it, never, it really never stops until our, our season's done and they're still rutting. But in the Midwest, I love doing that because of, um, of that reason, because you're getting double whammy. Uh, because if you're, say you're hunting a cornfield, a cut cornfield or something like that, or, or a food plot, then not only are you hunting it for the deer, the does that come in and the bucks that come check those does, but now that buck is also going to be in that plot eating and he's going to be checking the last set of does as well. So I've always had better luck that way. You know, and I'm not taking advantage of it yet for, I'll say various reasons, really. Yeah. Yeah. One reason, my wife and then. And my kids too, you know, and my parents too, I guess. So there's about three reasons in our family. And that is some of the best daylight pictures I've got of good bucks has been Thanksgiving Day, uh, almost uh -huh. more than any other. And there's, the, the Thanksgiving's coming where I ain't going to be there. <laughs> if it's the right one, I'm going to, I told my wife of that, I said, there's going to be a Thanksgiving. I'm going to miss one of them because I've been passing up last seven or eight since I've had cell cameras. And that's some of the best daylight pictures that I've, that I've had. Um, Craig, if you could witness any event of the past, doesn't have to be hunt related, could be anything. What would it have been? What would it have been? If you could get in the time machine, go with Mossy. Oh, machine. time machine. Um, all right. I'm not going to say a certain event, but I will say that I love, I would, if I had to live again in a different era, it would be the wild west. I've always said that. I always thought that was really, obviously, I meant movie style Wild West. I don't mm -hmm. really mean the real Wild West. <laughs> I meant movie style. Yeah. Uh, you know, where you're riding with your boys and go to town to town and go in and have a whiskey drink and mm -hmm. hit the road again. You know, I just always thought yeah. that was just always been something that I thought I would enjoy. You and Shed heading down to the OK Corral. Of course, that's real life, but it's also that's on right. TV. Um, right. If you can kind of remind me, you've been like Billy Nelly, Craig. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so yeah. Okay. I, I, the only reason I said as I watched that last night with my kid, so I was like, throw it out there. Joe, we threw out the okay crowd. <laughs> that was pretty good. Craig, if you could sit down and talk with any one person, past or present, regarding the art of hunting, who would that person be and, and why? This is so cliche, and I get it. I understand. There's really there's really two people one of them obviously the cliche answer is fred bear but yeah. it's so true um the things that he did things he pioneered um the things that you know he was able to accomplish even back then uh even with a camera uh video him the whole time and i'm gonna be honest with y'all and i know this sounds so weird and probably like i don't understand why you're saying i was able to sit down and talk hunting with one of the most influential people in hunting to me and that was Uncle Rusty. And the reason is because Uncle Rusty was the epitome of hunters. He was an everyday Mississippi slash Louisiana boy that just grew up from squirrel hunting to shooting probably twitty birds. And now that he died, I can say that because he ain't going to get in trouble. But, you know, shooting pretty much whatever was there. And he used to tell the stories about him hunting in the, in the forest and hunting with recurves back in the fifties and sixties. And I mean, he was killing deer. And, and then also like, we always used to, we love this term and he was serious and we, we always laughed, but he was dead serious. We'd always just say, well, the wind's wrong for that stand. He would say, well, just put, put your stand on the other side of the tree. 
<laughs> and we would laugh, but he yeah. was serious. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And I started thinking about that. I'm like, you're so true about mm -hmm. that. Like, how do you know where the deer is going to come from if you're in the middle of the woods? Like, how do you know that? You know? And he used to say that all the time. I was like, how many times have you been busted by a deer coming downwind from you? You know, and you thought you had a perfect wind. In his mind, he's like, why does that matter? Just put you stand on the other side of the tree. I'm like, <laughs> makes a lot of sense. Mm -hmm. But I was fortunate enough to have that. What's one thing in your deer hunting arsenal that you can't live without? Whew. Depends on the time of the year. Um, early season, uh, obviously going to be some kind of something. I'm going to stay neutral here to keep mosquitoes away because I can't stand that. Yeah. Um, but overall, to be honest with you, bow hunting, my rangefinder because I suck at ranging. I'm being honest. I, I will go berserk if I don't have a rangefinder. You'll see me out there. I'll be the person walking up 20 steps and putting a stick there. That's me. Um, and then um, late season, man, or not late season, but you know, pre-rut and things like that. I, I really like a grunt call because I can't stand to see a deer and cannot get him in. And around that time, if you see them, you can grunt them in. I've done it so many times. Heck, Joe, you watched me put mm -hmm. on TV the other night. I love grunting deer in. So I would say it depends on the time of year. And then also, uh, and see, I stayed away from clothing. You see that? Did you yeah, see you that? Did. I stayed you away did. from it. So, uh, but yeah, I would say it depends on the time of the year. What's one thing in your turkey hunting arsenal you can't live without? Shotgun, Shotgun shells. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what what's your favorite all-time hunt and, and why of my own of yours yeah um my all-time favorite hunt man it would have to be i killed a big eight point <laughs> imagine that um and the the hunt that you watched it was down that if you were facing where I was facing down to the right, about 300 yards is a food plot. And we used to call it a uh, turkey hollow. And it was at the kingdom ranch in Missouri. And that was kind of like my area. I loved hunting that my buddy Jay Olson owned it. He just sold it. And I was down there and I was hunting a deer we called dagger eight. He lost his dagger, but we knew him from years past. And it was just a big old body, just nasty 138 inches. What he ended up going. And I remember going in there in the first day, he came out chasing those and when i say he was chasing and growling and making all kind of racket uh tearing up corn stalks i mean just doing everything that you wish would happen on a hunt and i drew back on him and i was aiming and i remember telling my cameraman luke i said i can't make a shot he's like what do you mean you can't make a shot he was at 40 yards i said i can't i said i'm shaking too bad there's no way i said i've enjoyed this so much that i can't make the shot so i let down on it and the next day we went back in there and i i mean down to the almost the time he came back out doing the exact same thing, except this time he came out 22 yards straight out of the woods after we got great footage of him. And I didn't have time to think about it and drew back and made a shot. But that was my, I think that was probably my favorite hunt just because of all that happened. Like everything you dream about a whitetail world, that happened for me in two days. And so that's that's why I enjoyed that one so much. What's your weapon of choice? My weapon of choice would be bow for whitetail and 1000% hands down, no questions asked shotgun for turkeys i think that they were born to be shot in the face with bb so 
what's uh, on your phone? What's the best phone contact you have in your phone that might in be of interest to people? Ooh. Dang, I, man. I don't know if I ever asked you before. I bet I know. Was this on that list? Yeah, oh, it's on wow. that. Uh -huh. Was this on that list you sent me? Because this is a really good question. Yeah, it's on there. Um, It is good. And hey, I know Shed and I are on there, but go ahead and exclude us. Oh, I, I bet I know who it is. <laughs> and nobody and everybody's gonna be like, huh? Jordan Blissett? Nope. Shit, I hold on, I wanna know who you think. Sorry, it Jordan. Is. Britney Spears. Ah. Actually I don't actually I don't have her on my phone, but I was actually gonna say, well, if you'd ask my wife this question, it'd be a little bit different. Uh I actually do not, but uh Kevin Costner, because your brother in law gave you Kevin Costner's number. It's in there. That's but a good one, it, too. Now, isn't your wife real good friends with her? She is. They grew up together. They um, they were friends since basically birth. And uh, so it was very interesting, I can tell you. Um, yeah. you know, That's what I was going to say. Well, that would be somebody would not know that you had that number. And nobody really knows, yeah, that I connected with. Yes. Yeah. Um, oops, he did it again. Yeah. But, oops. <laughs> <laughs> um, man, I've got... So, man, this is a really good question. I have a few, like, sports players and things, but I'm not sure. Dang, this is a good question, Joey. Why you got to do this to me? I should have read this question before. Yeah, you got to do your um, homework. You got to do your homework. Yeah, you're right. Um, I'll tell you one, and y'all may know who he is, and um, he keeps popping in my head because he is a very influential person to me as well. His name is... Uh, David DeLucci, he played for uh, the Diamondbacks. He played. Yeah. He was an all-star in MLB, and but he is an extreme, extreme hunter. Um, and I, you know, that's that's a he. He's a very good role model to myself. Like I, I looked up to him for a while, and now for me to know him personally, I obviously have his phone number. It's pretty cool as well, and we talk a lot. Um, but off the top of my head, he kept coming to my head, so I, I used him. Yeah, and now I'm going to have to go back and I'm going to have to look in my phone because you have really messed me <laughs> up on this. So I'm glad you did that. Look, and y'all know me now. I don't get stumped usually. And you I do not. It, so you do not. That was, huh? I said, you do not. No, you don't ever get stumped. I know. I know. He got hey, me. What person has helped you the most in life and getting to where you are uh, today? Man, there's a few people. Man, obviously my parents. Obviously. They've always stuck with me, whatever I, whatever crazy dream I wanted to do. My wife has been rock steady for me. I mean, literally, whatever I say, she's like, okay, it's kind of weird, but you know what? You've never failed before, so let's go. Um, so she's always been behind me whatever, with whatever I do, even though sometimes, literally, she tells me I'm crazy. Um, and then there, you know, there are a couple of people that helped me get to where I was that has nothing to do with family. Uh, one of them being my best friend, Slade. Um, and yeah, everybody always says, you know, you you rise to whoever you're around. And that's what happened when I, when I started hanging out with Slade is that I realized that, you know, in order to be successful, you need to hang out with successful people. And that's, that's what I grabbed, I grabbed from him. And then the other person that really helped me along the way, and he hates when I say this, he hates when I say this is a guy named Daniel Thomas, uh, happens to work for Realtree. But he called me out of the blue one day and just asked me if I would like to video a hunt for, for them. 
And he didn't realize how big of impact that call has made in my life till this day. Even though I tell him all the time, he really doesn't understand that. But if he would have never made that call that day, I promise you, I would have never had, well, it would have been harder for me to have a television show, a career in the outdoor industry, and even me health coaching today. Like it literally, that one call has led to so many things. And so um, that was very, very big part of, of my of my life. And we've discussed a bunch of these and you got a bunch of them, but what's something unique that, that people don't know about you? And we, like I said, we've told many unique things about you, but you got a few more in there. Um, a lot of people don't realize I went bald when I was 16. <laughs> uh, that's, a, that's a different one. That's unique. Uh, Yes, very unique. But, I tell you what, to, but you got a great like, beard. You got a strong, good beard, though. Yeah, that's right. Um, a lot of people don't know that my wife is older than me. A lot of people don't realize that I met my wife when I was 13 and we could not stand each other. Um, and we reconnected 11 years later. Or no, 12 years later. Uh, trying to think what else. Um Oh, I know what a lot of people don't know about me. Uh, a lot of people don't know that I'm actually a certified mounted patrol uh, trainer for police. So their horses and their riders. A lot of people don't know that. I didn't, yeah, I didn't know that. So to add to add to the jack of all trades, there you go. <laughs> What's the best advice anyone's ever given you? Best advice anyone has ever ever given me is. Um, guy named Les Brown, motivational speaker. I just said this quote yeah. the other day, and I'm gonna say it again because it's the best advice I've ever given, been given, and I've lived by it. If you do what is easy, your life will be hard. But if you do what is hard, your life will be easy. And that is a fact. Mm -hmm. And I don't mean hard work. That a lot of people read that as, and it does mean hard work too. But a lot of people read that as hard work. What I mean by that is, do the things that you don't want to do that you know are gonna make you successful. Because when you do those things, that's what that's when success happens. Because a good friend of mine, a good friend of yours, and y'all know her too, she said you can either be comfortable or you can grow, but you can't do both. That goes for anything that you do in life, literally anything. And so that's why I always say, if you do as easy, your life will be hard. Because if you never come out those comfort zones, nothing will ever change. What's your favorite thing to do when you're not hunting? Golf. What I like to do more than hunting and like anything else is my family. I truly enjoy doing stuff with my family. And those are the things that I want to make up stuff I lost. Now, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, Shed knows this question here gets us right to the end. And that is, if you could have only three songs on your musical playlist, what would they be and why? Think, think carefully on this. Yeah. Shed's taking notes right now. I, I got them. I got these. <laughs> Say I won't, I mercy me. Because that song literally drives me to do better every time I listen to it. Um, I literally start my morning off with that song every single morning of my life. The next song that is there is um, the uh, Blessings, which is basically it's it's speaking blessings over my family, their kids, our generations, everything below me. I listen to that. And then my third song, uh, this is actually my routine every morning, by the way. And the third song I listen to, and I would listen to these three songs every day if I had to, is uh, a song called Red Letters by Crowder. Um, and it's literally about 
you know, coming from, I'm a person of faith, obviously, and how important those red letters in the Bible are to people. And so um, I listen to those three songs every single morning before I do anything. Shed, you got anything as we as we conclude here? Anything we've left out? Anything you want to bring to the surface? So maybe some pinned up aggression from years ago? Anything? <laughs> well, yeah, someday you'll see him purchasing that mossy oak camouflage. It's not far off. It's coming. I feel it. Craig, here's, you got anything? Here's one thing that I can promise you right now on this date. <laughs> I will not say that I will never wear mossy oak. But I can promise you, I will never purchase mossy oak. Y'all can write that one down. If I can literally, I, I literally have enough camo that I could wear it till I die. So I won't purchase it, but I'm not saying I won't ever wear it. So let's go there. Looks like somebody needs to do, send a little care package down to Louisiana. Don't they? Yep. They might kill a turkey that way. Yes, they may. <laughs> well, hey, Craig, I appreciate you. I sure appreciate you taking time for us. And, you know, our worlds have come together with the decision you made last March, independent of me and Shed even knowing what the heck you were doing. And it's funny to me how things come together when you quit putting round pegs and square holes and just kind of let the good Lord in life lead you. Firmly believe that's what's happened here. And uh, I know that I was going I'm a cup half full always, always running over. I'm always, I don't care what's going on. I'm, I'm, I'm finding the positive in it. And it, it killed me to come home every day from work and finally ask my wife, when's the last time I said I felt good? When's the last time I had, you know, felt like doing anything, you know? When's the last time I wasn't complaining basically about how I felt, you know? And I, and I thought, well, that's just what happens when you get old, I guess. This is what I got to look forward to. You know, you, you go from being young and getting after it to boom. You know, and when I go home getting a chair, I mean, there wasn't no getting out of it. The health program you got started with has made a huge difference in my life. I mean, night day, 360 degrees, whatever phrase you want to say. I mean, it's made just a huge, huge difference with me. To, and I know it has shed as well. And that's uh, also Jordan Blissett. So very thankful for uh, you three guys and a whole lot of other folks, but you're the one that really got the ball rolling as far as for us, Jordan and Shed. So I want to thank you for that. It means means a great, great deal. So, I mean, I I don't look it, you know, necessarily because of tons of gray coming in. What's odd now, we're getting off on a whole talking about hair. My left side of my beard has been gray since I started shaving at 16. Right side wasn't, but now, now it's all filling in, you know. But, well, I uh, wanted to say something about your beard real quick because <laughs> I'm not going to lie to you. I didn't think that people with our color hair, mine's a little darker, but the same, from mm. the same pigmentation, can turn gray. So I'm kind of worried now because yours is gray. <laughs> I can't be bald and gray. <laughs> so, I, I, you know, I always said, I don't know if I'm bald. So, I think it all turns gray uh, at some point. <laughs> it's, not, it's not bad being bald and gray. <laughs> oh, my bad. Not shit. <laughs> Not that bad. But hey, appreciate all you all you do for coming on. Appreciate all you do for us, and look forward to many more. Hopefully, maybe have you back on here again. I think there's again you're a unique person with the things you've done. Like you bring a whole bunch to the table. So hopefully, we'll share again with you. But I appreciate you joining us. I appreciate it. Hey, thanks, Chris. Thank y'all for having me. Seriously, even and all jokes aside, me and shit mess with each other. But man, he's 
y'all two are great people and I surely, surely appreciate everything y'all do. And uh, Shed, it was, I actually enjoyed today with you and it was fun. And Joby, as always, man, <laughs> as always, I appreciate all you do. So. Hey, it won't be long. We'll be sharing, hopefully, hopefully sharing some deer pictures. I've gotten two or three on my cell cameras that we've been sitting here. So if I ever got distracted, it's because I was uh, getting a picture over here. So nothing like Well, the it. good thing is if y'all... If y'all ever invite me to hunt, the good news is there's a very good chance that I won't hit it anyway. So, so I'll have fun and get to shoot and not have a it, not be, have to worry about killing one. Be so, more spending time together, out. communing, but we ain't got to worry about you, you know, knocking the herd down. I got well, you. What we're gonna think, what we're gonna do is we're gonna put that Africa trip together next year. You need to just come yeah. in and go with us. Tim Wells hit me up the other day and he bought a concession over there, or partnered with a guy on one. So Hey, I have everything square. We'll go over there next, next May or June, and tell tell Tim I am not throwing a spear at anything because uh, I I ain't doing that now. I'm out of some no, real blow guns, adalatles. Yeah, his, his he said my, that concession he's got is pretty much all bow hunt. Okay, so I can do that. Fun. Well, I can I can shoot things. I can shoot at things with bows. So we're good there. We can get Jordan to go. <laughs> he can get his out of Mississippi. <laughs> I doubt it. I doubt it. Well, hey, we'll we'll talk to you guys soon. I'm sure. So we'll talk to you. In All a right, few. guys. I'll be good. All right. Thanks a lot, Craig. Shed, we'll see you. Yep. Thank you for spending time today with Shed and I and our guest, Mr. Craig Fitz, formerly of Realtree and the Trained Assassins TV show. Craig has also worked as a narcotics agent, a firefighter, as well as his time in the hunting industry. He now serves as a licensed realtor and a certified health coach. Please assist us by liking and rating today's episode and by subscribing to the Foshi Creek Podcast. We are not a sponsored podcast, so the only way we're able to reach a broader audience is by word of mouth and the number of subscriptions, likes, and positive ratings that we receive. Please share our content on your social media platforms with all your hunting and outdoor friends. Thank you again for listening, and as always, we learned everything we knew down on Foshi Creek.